This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. If you imagine you were the you were that you were that uh, Christian lady, you'll be very offended uh, if if uh, this person asks us a question. So she did get very offended, and later, yeah, she, later she sent me a a message to say that oh, she, even though she doesn't go to church, she's very sure she's a Christian. So friends, I think we can ask we should think of the same question for ourselves. How do you know you are a Christian? Now this question sounds offensive, but well, this is something that we need to be, be sure of for ourselves because well, being sure of where you stand makes a difference between heaven and hell, life and death. And Matthew has some answers for us in today's passage. Today we are back in Matthew's Gospel uh, after Easter last week. So Matthew wants you to know that Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is God's appointed king. Two weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus entering the capital city in Jerusalem. But Jesus started his ministry seemingly on the wrong foot. He offended the religious leaders. He went to the temple, he messed up the temple, and then he used parables to to show that the, the leaders, the religious leaders, the chief priests, they have all rejected Jesus. And God will punish the chief priests. So we see that there's this rising tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. And our passage today picks up where where we last saw, where we we left off last time. So Jesus is still teaching in the temple, teaching the the crowds, including the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and everyone else. And Jesus has one more parable to tell. So verse 1, Jesus spoke spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. So this is a a parable. This is a story with a deeper meaning, a deeper meaning about how God's kingdom works. So here, the story is, there's this king. He has a wedding banquet for his son. So his son is one of the princes of the country, and he has already sent out the save the date by Facebook. So now the banquet is ready. He asks his, uh, this, he asks his servants to go and get the guests to come in. So someone in the royal family is getting married. This will be the wedding of the year. People talk about the wed- this wedding for years and years and years to come. And the guest list will include all the important people, the rich, the famous. And well, what a privilege to be part of this great wedding. What a privilege to be invited. But what happens? At the end of verse 3, but they refused to come. They refused uh, the king's invitation of this grand banquet. Now, I don't understand how they could do this, but the generous king uh, invites them a second time. So he sends the servants again. Verse 4, then he sends some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. The dinner is ready. The suckling pig, the pecking duck, they have been roasted and were crisp as you bite into it. The garupa of abundance is steamed with superior soya sauce. And the longevity imi is made with the best flour in the whole world. Come and eat. 
But how do they respond? And what does verse 5 say? But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed him, killed them. Some ignored the servants. But to them, more things were important, like making sure their grass on their field grows well, or like making sure their business well, doesn't collapse in that one day that they are away. Or as if there's no one, no one out there to help them. You see, friends, these are lousy excuses. I mean, if you get invited to a once-in-a-lifetime wedding banquet, you will put aside everything to make sure you are there. And for these people, when they reject the wedding banquet, when they reject the invitation, they're not just rejecting or the, the paper, the card. They're rejecting the king. They are, they are telling the king, well, king, well, you are the king, but I have more important things than you. And some others even show their rejection by, refu- by abusing and by killing the messengers. So friends, what we see is that all those, the first group that you expect to be invited, well, all of them have blatantly rejected God's invitation. So what did the king do? In verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So the king destroyed all of the first invitees. So friends, uh, what is this parable about? For us, it might sound a bit confusing, but for the Jews of those days, the parable will remind them about something a prophet told them 700 years ago about this other heavenly feast. Okay, I've got... Okay, yeah. So this is from... I'll control it from here, so you can... Yeah. Okay, so this is a heavenly feast, uh, and this is what Isaiah says. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. So Isaiah is talking about this great heavenly banquet. He's talking about heaven. And this is a place that all the Jews want to be. They want to be in heaven with God. So when Jesus uses this parable, he's talking about this heavenly banquet, but he's also saying that some people will blatantly reject the invitation. Some people, especially those that you least expect, people like the chief priests, people like the Pharisees, people who supposedly knew God best, well, they, are going to, they were going to outrightly reject God. And they outrightly reject God by rejecting Jesus. And God will utterly destroy them. But this parable doesn't end here because this parable has something to say to the crowds. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Those who were invited first were all dead, so the king invites everyone else the servants can find, and the, and the servants will fill up the banquet hall. Now imagine you uh, were, were on your way home after a long day of work, 
And everyone was talking about this great banquet and this is the son's, uh, king's son's wedding. So everyone uh, will be glued on their phones on the MRTs. We're not playing Candy Crush or not on Facebook. They'll be watching the live stream of the updates. They'll be looking at well, the, what the decorations will be like, the lavish food, the great music. Then suddenly, over the PA system, uh, the, I mean, normally, normally they'll say oh, maybe the train, the train is stopping here because there's a train ahead. But instead of that kind of announcement, the king's servant will say, by the king's order, all of you are invited to the banquet. Now. So immediately, everyone will rush out of the MRT to get ready for the banquet. And that's why the banquet hall is packed. Everyone is there. A grand banquet. This, this is the king's banquet. This is meant for the rich, for the famous, the most important people. Now it's available to all. People like you and I. And what a generous king. But there's a problem. In verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man, a man there who, who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. So there, there's a man who is physically at, present at the banquet, but he's not wearing the wedding clothes. So it's like he's invited, but he doesn't behave as if he's invited. It's like going to a, a very posh wedding. For example, a wedding banquet at W Hotel at Sentosa. But you appear there with your pajamas and your, I don't know, and your bathroom slippers, the one with the, the bunnies on it. But this would be very insulting to the king. Because this man, he outwardly, he accepts the invitation, he is there, but he rejects the king by the way that he behaves. So what does the king do? The king kicks him out of the party. And this is interesting. You see, we expect the man, right, to be kicked out of the palace, to be maybe outside the gates or maybe on the streets. But what does verse 13 say? Where does the man get kicked into? Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, that's language that Jesus uses to describe hell. So in Matthew chapter 8, this is what Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now in this part of the Bible, Jesus is not, talking, not using a parable. Jesus is talking about what will happen at the end. And he uses the same language. So what Jesus means... In the parable is that the man gets kicked out into hell. Friends, this parable now takes a very serious turn. You see, many people are invited to this banquet. But the right response well, means that well, you're chosen and you're enjoying the banquet in heaven. But the wrong response means God's judgment in hell. And this parable is not just for the religious leaders. This parable is for the crowds too, the crowds who are also listening. Now, some people might wonder, what does the, 
what does the wedding clothes represent? Because Jesus doesn't tell us here what it does represent, so we can't be sure. But what is clear is that this man rejects the invitation by dishonoring his host. So from the outside, he looks like he is in, but his behavior rejects God. He's acting as if he's not invited. So this sounds like many people who call themselves Christians. Or they might think they're Christians because they, they said a sinner's prayer many years ago. Maybe they serve in church or maybe uh, they have good church attendance. Or maybe they, they're, yeah, maybe they observe, they are playing the guitar or reading the Bible or, or leading the prayer. But being a Christian makes no difference to their lives. So I remember meeting and uh, chatting with someone for the first time. Then we realized as we were chatting that, hey, we have this common friend. So this, this person asked me, well, how, do, how do you know this common friend? So I said, oh, I, met, I met this common friend at a Christian event uh, yeah, and, uh, or at a conference. And you know what this person said? This person said, oh, I didn't know he's a Christian. Well, perhaps uh, this person I met, he didn't know our mutual friend enough. But it would be tragic if God said the same thing about, uh, about this friend. Because maybe my, this friend doesn't act, doesn't live like a Christian. So God, God has generously invited you to his wedding banquet, to heaven. So will you accept God's invitation by honoring him as your king? Or by, ex- by accepting God's authority over your life? Uh, by trusting his word in your life. What we, see, what we see from the next half of the of the chapter is what does it mean to accept the invitation and what does it not mean? So I'll be going through these verses very quickly. So if you have any questions, uh, please note them down and ask me afterwards. So what we see first uh, is the Pharisees and the Herodians. So they come to trap Jesus. So verse 17, this is their trap. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? So Jesus says yes. The Pharisees will t- tell Jesus, you don't honor God as our true king, and you support the Roman occupiers. If Jesus says no, it's not right to pay tax, and the Her- Herodians were there, uh, they will pauto Jesus to the Romans, and the Romans will, will get Jesus into trouble and uh, arrest him. So yes or no will both be a trap. So Jesus doesn't answer them directly. Jesus asks them for a coin, and Jesus asks, well, whose image is on the coin? So verse, verse 21 says, Caesar, Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. So Jesus says, paying your taxes doesn't contradict serving God. The people need to give back uh, to Caesar what they rightfully owe Caesar. So if they owe Caesar taxes, they rightfully need to give that back to him. And they need to give to God what belongs to him. But what does it, what do they need to give to God? What is it that belongs to God? But from the parable, we learn that they must give God honor. They must give God honor as their king. They must not reject his invitation. So Jesus points out their mistake in thinking that well, these were opposite things, that serving God and paying your taxes were well, the opposite things. In, in God's kingdom, both are right. 
but God takes precedence over Caesar. So that Jesus just escaped their trap and Jesus just told them what God expects. But what do the Pharisees and the Herodians do? Verse 22, When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and he went away. They did nothing. Nothing. They just ignored Jesus' words. They reject the invitation. Next uh, were the Sadducees. So the Sadducees are a different group from the, from the Pharisees. Verse 23 says that they believe that there is no resurrection, so no one can rise from the dead. And history also tells us uh, that this is a group of people who only accept the first five books of the Bible as well, authoritative. That means they only believe that God gave the first five books of the Bible. And they have a challenge to prove that the resurrection is fake. So they use this law in the first five books, books on the Bible on this hypothetical situation. So there's this woman who has been married to seven, to seven brothers, uh, one at each time uh, before he dies. Then when they all die and they are, and they're all raised to life, who will be the woman's husband? Friends, this is not an honest question. You see, the Sadducees are here to get Jesus into trouble. They are here to challenge Jesus, to oppose Jesus, just like the invitees opposed the servants. So they think the resurrection is impossible and they have this foolproof situation to prove that the resurrection is impossible and they want to make Jesus look like a fool. So this is Jesus' reply. Verse 29. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know scriptures, or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. So instead of making Jesus look foolish, Jesus makes them look foolish. So Jesus says, you guys, you don't know your Bibles. You don't know the power of God. So first, Jesus shows them how they don't understand God's power. So you don't understand God's power in the resurrection to change people. So Jesus says in verse 30 that the power of God radically changes people in the resurrection. So it changes people such that they will not be like earthly people who must have children to preserve their line. No, they will be like heavenly angels who will live forever. They live eternally. So because they live eternally, there's no need to preserve their line. So there is no earthly, there's no form of this, there's no earthly marriage in heaven. So firstly, they don't understand God's power. And secondly, they don't understand their Bibles. So Jesus tells them, tells, tells them that they got their Bibles wrong. And he quotes from the first, one of the first five books of the Bible. He quotes from Exodus. And he, he quotes that, quotes this verse to show that the resurrection happens. So verse 31 says, But about the resurrection from the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are important people in the Bible. And God made promises to them that weren't fulfilled in their lifetimes. So this is what God promised. So this is God speaking to their descendants. So God said, I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, 
and to Jacob. So what we see here is God had promised these three people land. But what happened? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all physically died before they reached the land. Before God could fulfill the promise. Okay, so now that means that there are two options for God. Option number one is that God is, God is an unfaithful God who doesn't fulfill his promise to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the land. Because when God made this promise, there was no exemption clause. Like, if you die, then well, too bad for you. No, he didn't make that promise. He didn't make the promise this way. And the Bible tells us that cannot be so. The Bible tells us, strongly affirms that God is a faithful, promise-keeping God. So that this first option cannot be right. So that leaves us with the other option, that God will raise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the dead to keep his promise. The resurrection will happen. So the Sadducees used the first five books to prove that the resurrection doesn't happen. And the genius of Jesus' answer is that he takes the same five books to prove that the resurrection does happen. And by doing that, he also shows that they don't know their Bibles. So what happens after Jesus proves the Sadducees wrong? Verse 33 says, Then when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. The crowds were astonished. They knew that Jesus just did something amazing. You know, Jesus had just proven the Sadducees that they were wrong, proven them wrong about the resurrection. But despite this, the Sadducees, they didn't turn to God. They reject the invitation too. But the Pharisees were not done with Jesus, so they come back again to Jesus. In verse 35, one of them, one of them an expert of the, in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So of all the commandments, of all the laws, which is the most important? Now instead of giving one answer, Jesus gives two answers. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So love God and love other people. But the Pharisees, they fail to do the greatest commandment. They fail to love God. Why is that? Because they fail to love the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't an ordinary, isn't just an ordinary human being. Jesus is God. And the Pharisees don't love him. And Jesus proves that he is God in the next section when he talks about the Messiah. In verse 42, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. So the Messiah is the word to describe God's appointed, chosen, God's appointed powerful king. And the Pharisees know that this appointed king will be a son or a descendant of King David. He's another powerful king. But the Pharisees understand that the descendant always has this lower status compared to his ancestor. So the Messiah should have a lower status compared to King David. But in verse 43, this is what Jesus says. How then, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, 
calls him Lord. For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? This sounds a bit confusing, uh, but what what he's saying here is, in verse 44, the first Lord is God, God the Father. And the second Lord there is the Messiah, the son of David, the one who will be a powerful king. So here, uh, David, guided by God, he calls the Messiah, he calls his descendant, Lord. This means that David didn't make a mistake in calling the Messiah Lord. So if if David calls his descendant Lord, then how can the Messiah be his son? Or let me flip it around. How can David's son can be how can David's son be David's Lord? Now this is only possible if the Messiah, David's descendant, is divine. This is only possible if the Messiah is God. The Messiah, the Messiah is Jesus. And Jesus is greater than David because Jesus is God. So what does this mean for the Pharisees? This means that the Pharisees, for the Pharisees that they are responding to Jesus wrongly. You see, the right response to Jesus is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But yet the Pharisees, they are opposing Jesus. And what will happen to those people who oppose Jesus? Well, verse 44 says that God will defeat these enemies before the Messiah. So God will punish the religious leaders. So you see the danger that Jesus is warning the Pharisees about? He's saying, if you guys continue to oppose me, God will punish you. And verse 46 says that this teaching, this teaching that Jesus gave, this silenced the Pharisees. But no one tries to find out more. No one tries to find out more about how to avoid God's punishment. The Pharisees are behaving just like the first invitees in the parable. The ones who should know God best, they are the ones who reject God. They reject God blatantly by rejecting Jesus. It's not like God didn't give them any chance, right? They had the law to, to read. And in this passage, three times Jesus corrected them. But three times they rejected it. It's like Jesus gave them three more invites, but three times they said no. So God's generous invitation will make their persistent rejection look even worse. So the, the religious leaders show themselves to be persistently rejecting Jesus, just like the first group of invite, invitees. And just like what the king did in the parable when he destroyed the first group of invitees, God will destroy the religious leaders and will put them under Jesus' feet in David's song. God will kick them out of his heavenly banquet to this horrible place in hell. Friends, the Pharisees show us that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God's invitation to heaven. And if you do that, like the Pharisees, if you reject God like the Pharisees, you will be punished. 
But as we think about the parable, we also need to, we also need to consider well, which character sounds like you. Is it the first group of invitees who outwardly reject God? Or is it the guy who's without wedding clothes, who accepts the invitation, who is at the, at the banquet, but he, from the way that he behaves, he shows that he's, he shows that he rejects God. Or are you like the rest of the wedding, of the wedding guests who accept the invitation? Friends, what we have seen in, in this second half of the passage is the way to accept God's invitation is this. To love Jesus as God. To love Jesus as your God. So if you love Jesus, now then you, then you accept Jesus' invitation to be in heaven with God. So how do I know if I love Jesus? Well, you will know if you, if you treasure him more than anything. So if you treasure Jesus most, then there will be a fundamental change in your life. You want his approval more than anyone else's. You want to spend time reading his word. You'll, you'll want to let his words be the authority in your life. You'll, and you'll be more glad when people glorify Jesus than anyone else, including yourself. Well, I have a friend who thought he was a Christian. So we grew up together in church. And his, friends were, his, friends, his, friend, uh, his parents are Christians. Uh, and the only, only time he realized that maybe he's not a Christian is when he left, he left home to work. Because it was only then when he left home to go to work uh, that uh, he realized that he's only going to church because so that he, because he could so that he can give his parents uh, he could tell his parents he went to church so his parents won't nag him. And thankfully he realized that and he realized that that is wrong and he wanted to change that. So he made steps to find out about who Jesus is for himself, so that he can love Jesus, so that he can accept. Jesus' invitation for himself. God is generous with us. He has invited all of us to his wedding banquet, to his heavenly banquet. So what will you do with with this invitation? Will you reject it outrightly or blatantly like the first invitees? Uh, by By ignoring what Jesus has to say? Or will you dishonor God like the man without wedding clothes. Maybe you look like you have accepted the invite, but you insult the king with the way that you live. Or are you like those, those who genuinely, genuinely have accepted the king's invitation? Those people who love Jesus as their God? Friends, don't reject the invitation. Love Jesus and accept the invitation into heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, we pray that you continue to speak to us through these words in Matthew 22. Help us to understand it more deeply and help us to know you more for ourselves. Help us to fully accept the invitation. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg